Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. May we know your faithful nourishment this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament scripture comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading for this first Sunday in Lent is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My freshman year of high school, I attended a fall youth group weekend retreat at a local campground. And on the first evening after dinner, we all gathered in the main hall to sing songs of worship. And what remains most memorable about that retreat is this moment at the end of one of the songs where an upperclassman, one of the student leaders, she turns around, looks me in the eye, smiles, and says, you have a good voice. No one had ever told me I had a good voice, a bad voice, or anything voice. I was shy, I'm sure I just sort of nodded. But I do remember I sang all the more fully in the next few songs because of what I heard in those words were not just you have a good voice, but you have a voice. You belong. 
My faith in Jesus was still young, still finding its legs. But, but that night and really that season of life became one of those that was just sort of wonderfully full and alive with a love for God, with a love for, for trying to love uh, neighbors, with, with a love for learning about the Bible. Where do you point to in your own lives for a season or seasons where your faith in Jesus, your walk with Jesus was especially alive. There was something invigorated about it. Perhaps like me, you point to a space in your childhood or those early teen years. Or maybe you converted as an adult and, and were baptized. And it was maybe that season that was filled with this, this unique joy wherein you knew yourself to have a voice. You belonged. There was something invigorating about this call. And wherever you point, what do you remember about the season? I mean, what are, what are some of the songs, some of the hymns, some of the scriptures that were central to that season? In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. He comes up out of the water and, and God speaks, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. It is this joyous moment of grace, of belonging, of love. The Holy Spirit is just covering Jesus with goodness right there at the beginning of his ministry. It is always jarring, though, to discover what can sometimes begin so sweet, so real, so strong, so good, is at some point inevitably and and perhaps unavoidably followed by wilderness or even wildernesses. Because in Luke chapter 4, it begins right on the heel of that Jordan baptism. We read, then Jesus left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Imagine the Spirit whose love poured over you in those early years of faith and named you my beloved being the same one who then leads you into the wilderness. The wilderness in the Bible, it's a dry and arid space, short on food and water, largely uninhabited. Dangerous, difficult, wild is in the word wilderness because at a fundamental level it is recognized as a space where things are not under human control. Lots of unknowns, more questions than answers. And 40 days, 40, many of you know, a significant number in the Bible. 40 days, the, 40 years, sorry, the Israelites wandered in the desert after being brought out of captivity. To say 40 was to say a long time. It, it referred to an extended period of trial, testing, shaping. 40 days of wilderness, they, it comes in all forms and fashions. It may be a season or seasons of relational strife, dark nights of the soul, Vocational confusion, congregational searching and aching. It may be a diagnosis, an illness. It may be the loss of a job or a friend or a home or all of them or something else altogether. Bottom line, the wilderness is trying. It is the kind of space into which we would never on our own volition choose. And yet it comes. And even sometimes the Holy Spirit of all people leads us there. And part of what makes the space so difficult is not just the fact of the wilderness, but then also the attending lies that seem to spring up in that particular space and tempt 
The devil said to Jesus, if you're, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. You're hungry. You have the power of God. Fix the problem. Meet the immediate need. And if you're in the wilderness of a relationship, I mean, what is so bad if you could change hardened heart into softened bread like that? If you're in the wilderness of a calloused injustice, what is so bad if we can change that callousness into justice? I mean, what's so bad about a quick fix to real hunger? Recent days, I've been part of a, a group in Richmond doing some study around healthy food, food access, food deserts, and all of that as it relates to Metro Richmond. And as many of you know, uh, some areas of the city have a lot of good grocery store options. Other areas do not have anything but, but convenience stores, actually for miles around. And I started to, to learn that sometimes what you see will happen is when people learn about this stark discrepancy, uh, well-meaning people will show up into one of these places without a grocery store nearby and say, well, well here, uh, here's kind of an urban garden, and, and, and now there's at least some fresh produce, sustainably so, right here. And then a year later, you come back and the whole thing's dead and unkept, and nothing in the neighborhood has changed on the food front. And actually, the residents who do live there are all the more resentful of the do-gooders who dropped off the quick fix. Why? Trying to turn a hard issue into bread. The quick fix is at root a lie. I mean, as many of you know, to talk about healthy food, food access, is really then also to start talking about transportation and jobs, and income, and wages, and education, and, and race. I mean, the way to, long-term, to, to address long-term food issues is to consider all the complex layers in a long-term relationship-building strategy, empowered by everyone in the community. And what is needed most foundationally for that kind of long walk together is soul-sustaining, soul-transforming bread of a power not our own. And so to the quick fix lie, Jesus responds with this concise clarity. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil keeps him moving, takes him to a, to a high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And I'll give you all their authority and splendor if you'll just worship me. Because isn't one of the worst feelings about being in the wilderness the lack of control one senses? I mean, what if you could just take the problem, the angst, the doubt, the relationship, the injustice, the diagnosis, the career, and you you did have the power to bend it and straighten it and make this right as you see fit? What if you could just get a little more control over the situation? Those of you who've raised a teenager... Or you were a teenager. How well does it work to make a teenager do what they need to do? As I'm learning, there's such thing as a three-nager. I tell Leo it's time for bed. And sometimes, honestly, with increased frequency, he just refuses. And now there are options at this point. But the easiest one, quite frankly, is to walk up to him, pick him up, and say, it is time for bed. And carry him to the bed. He's not a happy camper. I can physically carry him, but he's learned he can nevertheless yell, he can kick, he can scream. Once put in the bed, he can just get right back out of bed and run outside the room. There is the sense in which I constantly feel in the wilderness 
when it comes to parenting. And every time I try to control the outcomes with things like carrying him where he needs to be, making the situation right, the more he resists. And it's true in marriage, in politics, church, and life. The more we seek to control, engineer, tighten our will upon something or someone, the more the control is in fact resisted. As Jesus says elsewhere, right? Those who seek to save their life, control their life, they will lose their life. Those who lose their life, who offer their life for my sake, they will find their life. No wonder Jesus responds to the lie of control with this concise clarity about the the real wilderness need to actually loosen one grip and one's control and letting God lead. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And then finally, the devil leads Jesus to, this, to Jerusalem and has him stand at the highest point of the temple, a very public space, very visible to all. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. It's written in scripture that, that, that God will command the angels to come and tend to you. Nothing will happen bad to you at all. This would be a very dramatic moment all would see. Henry Nouwen uh, Catholic priest and author, he comments on this portion of passage, says, here Jesus is facing the temptation to do something spectacular, something that could win him great applause, something to prove himself. Now and is pointing out that sometimes it seems, you know, the quickest way out of the wilderness for the church, for instance, is, is to do a huge event, bring in a renowned speaker, Get the press speaking well of a mighty public deed of faithfulness. You can't be lost in wondering if everyone is telling you you're found. Sometimes the quickest way out of the wilderness for for marriage is, is to give a huge, expensive, spectacular gift. You can't be in the wilderness when there is this shiny, wonderful expressions of love. The quickest way out of this inner wilderness is to do a great thing, a big thing, even a public thing that, that validates us in the eyes of others. And then surely God will have to show up, command the angels, and bless that great thing. In truth, the third temptation is not so different from the first. Both are kind of a quick fix. The third just being particularly grand in hopes of manipulating God to show up. And again, that concise clarity. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The wilderness is full of seemingly wonderful lies that suggest a way out. And these are but three of the many that the human soul might face in such a space. And yet here is the strange mystery of the wilderness. If we'll see it through... If we'll walk the valley of the shadow of death all 40 days until a dawn really not of our own making or controlling starts to emerge over the the horizon. What we discover the wilderness will give to us is a priceless gift, quite frankly impossible to find anywhere else. Notice how Jesus, full of the spirit we read, responds to each temptation. He not only responds with scripture, he responds with concise, clear verses 
all of them from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, a book in the Old Testament, written in a catechetical, repetitive, simple, concise, clear form so that children could easily learn and memorize the Jewish faith. As you heard in our reading from Deuteronomy 6 earlier today, families were to talk about the Torah day and night, coming and going, tie the law to to their, their hands and foreheads, write the law on the door frames of their houses and gates. I mean, children were to be immersed in Deuteronomy from an early age. It was their first taste of the lived faith. And taste being quite literal because it was a common practice for Torah teaching included the fathers giving children a taste of honey after reading a reading of Torah to help the children know in their very body the sweetness and goodness of God. When Jesus is in the wilderness, he is quoting the concise, sweet-tasting, simple scriptures of his youth. Man shall not live by bread alone. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The thing about the wilderness is you run out of options. You hit the end of yourself as a people or a city, a family or a marriage or an individual, and all you really have left is the Spirit of God who is faithful to abide and fill you because God cannot help but do otherwise. And you have buried deep within somewhere the old songs and hymns and scriptures that first sweetened the faith. And wouldn't it be a priceless gift to know in the wilderness the spirit of the living God raising afresh some of those songs and hymns and scriptures of our earliest seasons of faith. I mean, wouldn't it be a gift for those earliest central promises to well up within but with new depth of understanding, new gravitas, new love. I think of the recently deceased Mary Oliver, who wrote in one of her poems, Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this, too, was a gift. To know that youthful faith singing again, to know a fresh vitality to the basic promises of God. Receive the box of wilderness as a gift, even from someone who loves you, from someone who very well may have even led you there. And receive it not confident in your own ability to avoid the tempting lies that litter that land, but rather confident in Jesus, whose spirit does by grace fill you whose spirit has conquered the power of those lies, and whose spirit is faithful to sing those songs through us again, likely in a key and a context unimaginable to us now. Because at the heart of our faith, we maintain that even in the bleakest of wilderness, where it seems, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even there, especially there, definitely there, that is precisely the space where a new birth beyond our imagination is at work. Amen.